0: This is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another edition of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the Kingdom of God. Uh, this is episode 27 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and we um, we missed a week last week. Uh, I had COVID 19, <laughs> so um, I was uh, I was pretty puny last week, and um, couldn't quite get my. Uh, get my head together to, uh, put a podcast episode. So I hope, uh, you will all forgive me. I'm sure you will because you're a forgiving bunch. Um, we, we Christians are are a forgiving bunch, aren't we? So, uh, COVID was interesting. It was, um, uh, maybe, maybe you know somebody that's had it and I, I realize not everybody gets it the same. Um, it, um, I, you know, I've had the flu before, so that's the thing everybody compares it to. Um, I didn't feel like this was as bad as the flu, so I guess it was. It was Tuesday night, the eighteenth. I was, I was just, I was cold. I was cold all afternoon, but I just, I, I'm on a diet right now, so I've lost a bunch of weight, and so I, when you know, when you lose weight, I don't have as much insulation as I had, and so I've, um, I thought, well, I'm just cold because I'm cold. Um, but uh, that night I started I started running a fever and it got up to 101 and it was I was shaking and shivering it was horrible. Um, finally took uh, took some uh, ibuprofen and the, the fever went down a little bit. Went to bed that night covered up um, with a whole bunch of blankets and my wife slept in the other bedroom um, because she did not want this. And I knew right away that I, it was COVID. Um, and fever broke during the middle of the night, and uh, the next morning, uh, I knew I, I was sick. I felt sick. I just felt achy, and um, I had a little bit of a headache, and, and I just, I, you know, I felt just exhausted, but the fever was gone, and I never really developed any, any kind of cough. I mean, it was, it was, I had a, a little wee bit of a cough, but it was just really, really, really mild, um, and, uh, about three days in, I started to notice that my taste buds were a little funny, um, which is, which is a shame for somebody that loves to eat as much as I do. <clears throat> um, the hardest part was that I, I, I didn't drink coffee for a couple of days. You know, when you're sick, you just don't feel like drinking coffee. Um, so I'm happy to report that I am back on the coffee now, so, um, that's a good thing. But, um, you know, after about, after about four days, I started feeling good. Um, when Saturday hit, I was feeling pretty good on Saturday. Um, and so I started just moving around doing a whole bunch of stuff and that, that was not the wisest thing to do because on Sunday I was whipped. So, uh, anyway, but I'm, uh, I'm proud to say, uh, that I am pretty well over it now. Um, interestingly, my, our son, um, came down with it on Sunday night and by Monday morning he was running a fever and he decided to go get tested I I didn't bother um but when he decided to go I went I went and got tested as well and sure enough it came back positive which I knew like that didn't surprise me I knew this was COVID this did not feel quite like anything I'd ever had and it it, all the symptoms measured up so we you know we were isolating ourselves and we you know there wasn't anything they were going to tell us to do different than we were already doing so I didn't think it was worth bothering to go get tested but when when our son did i i thought well I'll go <coughs> I'll go with him and get tested as well so there it is so we now have joined the covid club um, and which hopefully means i'm I'm immune from here on out and I can Go about my business as normal. The hard, the really hard part of this is we've not, you know, I'm I'm part of a a, several men's groups throughout the week, and I've had to nix those. Um, We have a we have a a really nice, really good group of people that we do house church with. That um, I haven't been able to see in, (laughs) you know, over a week now, and like that's hard. That's hard. I, I miss all those people. Of course, we. We talk on the phone a little bit and we text and so we're, we're connected, but you know, it's not the same. So anyway, so let's move on into, into our, um, into our topic for today. And, uh, the, the, the good news or bad news, depending on your perspective about today's episode is that I've now had two weeks to think about it instead of just one. Um, so, (laughs) so we'll see what that does. Maybe it'll hopefully make it better. It might make it longer. Um, so we started talking about, um, spiritual freedom and the, 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 essence of this is that when we become Christians, we're, we, we found our, find ourselves bound up by a lot of things that really hold us back from, um, experiencing the life with God that he wants us to live. Um, we, we, we just have some things we have to get over. Um, and for some of us, you know, there's a lot of, lot of thorniness about a lot of this stuff, right? And we talked about what some of those things are and what we're going to be talking about in this little series here. Um, but the the big, the big thing that we have to understand about spiritual freedom, I think, is that it's rooted, it's not rooted in an event or, or a, a process, but in a person, Jesus Christ. So you, you don't um, I realize there's a sense in which we're we're freed from the consequences of sin when we give our lives to Him and and are baptized. Like, certainly, certainly, there's some freedom there, but freeing, uh, getting free from the the junk in our lives, like that's a process. That's part of what the Bible calls sanctification, right? And you don't study your way into that. You, you don't work your way into that. Um, it, it doesn't happen by effort or by will. Um, it happens through a, a, a redeemer, through a relationship with, a, with the, the one who has the power to set us free from those things, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and we see that in, in two passages in the, in the Gospel of John. Uh, in John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, And we've talked about this passage before, so I'm just going to mention it briefly. But Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So Jesus says we've got to stay linked to him. He is the source of life, the source of fruit. He alone empowers anything good uh, in our lives, okay? Well, also, back in chapter 8 of, of the Gospel of John, um, verses 31 through 36, Jesus says, um, to, and he's talking to the Jews uh, who have believed him, the, the, the believing Jews, and he says, if you abide in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth And the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you'll become free? Jesus responded, truly I I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be freed indeed. Okay? Now, Talking there about sin and the, and the state of slavery or bondage that it, that it puts us in. and, and what's sin? Well, you, you may have taught to believe that uh, you may have been taught to believe that sin is a failure to follow God's laws or God's rules. But sin is so much more than breaking the law or not following the rules. It is a failure to live out your created purpose. See, any, anytime we sin, we're choosing to act in a way contrary to God's design for us contrary to who he made us to be. God designed us to be loving. God designed us to be holy. God designed us to be giving. That's humanity as, as God conceived it. And the reason that's humanity is conceived it is because he created us as image bearers. We are, we are, we are made in his image. We are, we are given the blessing and privilege of bearing the image of God to the world. And so that means we're going to be loving and we're going to be kind and we're going to be holy, right, and giving. So anytime we, we act or think uh, in an unloving way or, or we think or act selfishly or we think or act in impurity, we have gone against who God designed us to be and how he designed us to function in his good world. And when we fail to live up to who God has created us to be, when we, when we manipulate people or fail to care for them or attach ourselves to things that are unholy, We find ourselves in bondage to the forces that have allied themselves against God and his good purposes for us in the world. Jesus came to set us free from all of that bondage. And it is only by clinging to him, abiding in him, that we become free and remain free. Okay, so so one of the first things that we've got to get settled in, in all of this is our belief in who God is. Not, not our belief in God, but our belief in who He is. Because we will, we will never abide in Him. We will never cling to Him if we don't see Him as He is. Okay? Um, excuse me. Got to have coffee. So, so, who is this God? What's His nature? The Bible consistently portrays God as a father. Now, if, like so many people, you've, you've not, uh, you've not had a good example of a father in your own life. And, and there are loads and loads and loads of people um, all over the world who have, who have had um, inadequate father roles. Um, um, so some of them horrifically so. Okay. And if you, like so many of those people, have not had a good example of a father in your own life, you may have a real problem with, um, with seeing God as a father. Um, and it, it may not sound like good news at all to you to hear me say that God wants to be a father to you. Um, if your father was abusive or harsh or unyielding or impatient or controlling you may not think very much of fathers, and you sure don't want an all-powerful one uh, from heaven telling you what to do now. But like so many other things in, in Christianity, God is better than we are. Um, we, we've got some real work to do, all of us, um, to stop viewing God through our own human experiences, right? Um, we, we just tend to think, because this is the way we would act or the way we, somebody who's in our life would act, that that must be the way God would act. And most of the time, that's just not true, okay? So we've, we've got work to do. We've got to, we've got to learn to put that stuff aside and start seeing God the way he, he insists on being seen, who he really is and not who we, through our flawed perspectives, um, see him as, okay? So just because your your father was impatient doesn't mean God is. So we need to put aside the, the earthly lenses um, through which we view God and let him reveal himself to us as he is. And when we do that, we see that God is a good father. Now, what does it mean to be a good father? Well, what, what I want to say Is that all? Good fathers um, possess a a couple of essential characteristics, and the first of those is that good father a good father is loving, and the Bible is crystal clear. God is love. Okay, Um, one of the most common assertions in Scripture about the nature of God is found first in what God says about Himself in Exodus thirty four verses six through seven. It is one of the most important passages in scripture, uh, in part because it is the only place in scripture where God actually describes himself. And here's what God says about himself. Uh, This is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate. He is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now that statement is, is repeated, and there's, a, there's, a, there's several big pieces to that statement, and we're not going to unpack all of them um, today. But that statement is, is repeated in whole or in part over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Uh, the most common repetition of that statement is simply that God is a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. And it is, it's repeated in Numbers 14, 18, uh, Nehemiah 9, 17, Psalm 86, 5, Psalm 103, 8 through 19. You ought to read that one sometime, really. Like you ought to read all these, but like, boy, that, that whole big chunk is good. Uh, Psalm 145, verse 8, Jeremiah 32, 18 and 19, Joel 2, 13, and it goes on and on and on. And it was, it was even repeated, and you'll love this, it was repeated in kind of an accusatory way by Jonah, uh, the prophet Jonah, in the book of Jonah, chapter four, verse two. So, so in the story, and and I want to I want to tell you the story because if you haven't read Jonah in a while, this is kind of a neat little insight into that. So, in the story, Jonah, or excuse me, God sends Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was off in Assyria, and they were they were bad people, like they were they were horrible, horrible people. And God sends Jonah to the people of Nineveh to tell them to repent because they're, they're exceedingly wicked. Well, Jonah hated the Ninevites, as, as most people did in the ancient Near East who weren't Ninevites. And he didn't want them to get off the hook. So he ran away from God's assignment. And the consequences of his running away from what God asked him to do is he ended up in the belly of a fish. Right, Jonah and the whale. Right, wasn't really a whale, probably, but um, that's the that's the story. He ends up there because he's running away from what God asked him to do. And when the fish finally, after three days, vomits Jonah up onto the land, Jonah decides, okay, I guess I better go to Nineveh. Like I didn't like that at all, (laughs) right? Uh, Who would like that? Um, So he drags himself to Nineveh, and he and in the shortest sermon ever preached. He tells him to repent or God is going to destroy him. And he doesn't say much more than that. Lo and behold, Nineveh repents. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says that God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways and God relented from the disaster that he had threatened them with. And then, get this, It says that Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. And he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. See, there's our passage in Exodus 34. And, and And then Jonah says, And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. In other words, Jonah was so filled with hatred that he would rather die than live in a world where God forgave people like Nineveh, like the people of Nineveh. Let that sink in for a minute. But you see, that is who God is His nature is to want to forgive. His nature is to love. And all throughout the Bible, the biblical writers clearly regarded that self-declaration of God in Exodus 34, 6, and 7 as the foundational statement about who God is. So God is love. and, And love, by nature, desires to be given and received, and we are the aim of God's affections. So love means that God always acts with understanding, and compassion, and patience. Remember, remember, first, first Corinthians thirteen verses four through eight. Those those declarations of love that we that we read at every wedding. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant, is not rude, it is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That, folks, is who God is. In fact, let me read that again. But I want to read it a little differently. I I want to read that passage. And every time we see the word love, I'm going to substitute the name of God. By the way, and I may have said this in a podcast, this is a like tell your sons and your daughters um, when they're looking for a spouse, um, put their the person that they're dating, have them put their name in that person's name in this list and find out if they, do they measure up? You know, is this person patient? Is there is this person kind? That's a, that's a pretty good litmus test to find out if this is a decent person that you want to spend your life with, right? Um, if, you, if, you, if you can't say, uh, you know, Johnny's not rude <laughs> um, or he's not kind or he's not patient, like, do you really want to hitch your wagon to Johnny? Um, probably not. So, so I'm going to read this again. And I'm going to to substitute the the word God, the name of God in here. So, and just let this hit you, okay? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God is not boastful. God is not arrogant. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not irritable. God is not irritable. You hear that? God does not keep a record of wrongs. How many of you have been raised to think that God is keeping a record of everything you do? God finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never ends. Now, I've maybe I've misused that passage. I don't think so. But see, the, the only reason we know what love is is because God has shown it to us in himself. So because God is a good and a loving father, he's also interested in the, developmental, uh, the development of, and growth of his children. You know, a good, a good father wants his children to grow up and, and wants his children to take on the, the values and character of their father. He wants them to grow, to mature, to develop strength and integrity and character. So as a good father, God nurtures faith and character in his children. He helps us grow into people who can bear his image into the world and function in this world as he does. And he does that by asking us to surrender to him and by giving us his Holy Spirit inside us to help us along. So God deeply wants to love us. And as we said way back in, in, uh, I think it was episode two, uh, I think, Um, And we talked a lot about this. God created us to love us. So what then does God want from us? Better performance, right? To do a better job. Not exactly. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. So what God really wants is faith. And as we're going to see, faith leads to good behavior, right? But good behavior that, that isn't born out of faith become, is twisted, right? You can, you can force yourself to do the right things, but you're always doing it with twisted motives. And that, that comes out, right? So, so what's faith? Well, put very simply, faith is trust. God wants us to trust Him. Faith is taking God at face value, It's believing what he says. Um, And Paul says in Romans 4 that God counts that as righteousness. He counts trust as righteousness. And that's why the first sin way back in the garden is so instructive. It shows us exactly how the enemy attacks us. Need more coffee? Hold on. Oh, that was good. I need a second sip. Oh, my. Okay, so when Adam and Eve were confronted by the serpent in Genesis 3, the serpent called into question the character and trustworthiness of God. Remember, he, he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And, and you can almost just hear it, right? Right? Like there's, there's distrust from the word go. That's what he's sowing in the hearts of Adam and Eve. Did, did God really say that? You sure you didn't mishear him? And Eve says, no, we, we can eat from any, any of the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And up to that point, they were okay with that. Um, and that—that that is exactly what God told him, by the way. Um, they, she didn't get that wrong. Uh, back in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, if you read it, that's exactly what God said to them. But notice how the serpent responds to that. He says to Eve and, and Adam, Adam's there too. He says, nah, you will not die. Here's how this is going, he says, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So so in that in that in that statement to Adam and Eve, the serpent is casting doubt on the character and, and motives of God. He's implying what God told you is all wrong. The reason he doesn't he's got he's got ulterior motives for you not having this good fruit. Look at it. It's, it's pleasing to the eye, right? God has ulterior motives. And he, what he, he told you that you're going to die just because he didn't want you to have it. But what he really, what real, the way this is really working is, if you eat it, you're going to be like God and God doesn't want that. That's what he so So in other words, God doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he's casting doubt on the character and motives of God. And Satan attacks us in exactly the same way to make us question the character and goodness of God. Why? To separate us from the Father's love, to disrupt our relationship with him. I've said it again and again. We will never obey someone that we don't trust and we won't trust someone who we don't believe loves us. But the enemy doesn't attack our obedience, see? He attacks our belief in the love and goodness of God because he knows if he can disrupt that, our obedience will go too. At its heart, the sin of Adam and Eve was in doubting God's love, doubting His nature, and deciding that in light of that false belief, they were better masters of their own life than God was. In the face of the serpent's accusations, and in spite of all the good things the Lord had given them, they chose to believe that God did not have their best best interest at heart, that he was withholding something good from them. And in their doubts of his goodness and his love, they chose not to trust God. And that trust manifested itself in disobedience and every generation of humanity from here on then on out paid the price. John says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, "See what a great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. We are children deeply loved sons and daughters of the God of heaven and the king of the universe. The problem is that all too often we don't live and act like sons and daughters we live and act like orphans abandoned scavengers who have to pick our way our own way through life by all, all by ourselves subsisting on whatever meager scraps we manage to scrape up and always scratching and clawing to get more because it's all up to us orphans let me, let me sketch this out uh, for you a, a little bit by, by looking at, at a few specific areas and trying to kind of describe what it looks like to live as an orphan as opposed to live, living as a son or a daughter. And, and I'm just going to give you a few of these. I've got, a, I've got a, a, a chart that I put together, and you've probably seen things like this. Like I didn't, this didn't all originate with me, this chart. Um, I've adapted it to, to make it what I think is a little more accurate. Um, and if I can figure out how to do this on a podcast, I'm going to try to attach a PDF of this thing, um, so that you can go through it. Cause I'm not going to cover all this here cause it's a kind of a big list, but I want to kind of compare and contrast, um, in some specific areas, what it means to live like a son or a daughter and what it means to live like an orphan. Okay. What it looks like, what each of those looks like in a couple of specific areas, um, and, and as I go through these, like, ask yourself, do a little self-examination here. Um, which, which of these do you resonate with more? And see whether you kind of have the heart of an orphan or the heart of a son or daughter, okay? So, so the, f- the first little area is, what's, what's your image of God, right? Well, an orphan sees God as a, as a master, Uh, uh, A kind of a kind of a dictator. A a son or a daughter sees God as a loving father. So it's the nature of your of of your relationship with God. Do you do you serve God as a as a dictator, Uh, one who you've got to appease, or he's going to snuff you out? It's like is that is that kind of how you relate to God? Or do you relate to God as a loving father? Um, in the area of theology, and there's, boy, can I talk a lot about this. Um, an orphan lives by the love of law. Okay? So an, an orphan is, is always paying attention to the rules and the, and the you know, um, policing themselves and everybody around them, right? Because this is the law This is the rules. Got to keep the rules. You've known people like that, right? Um, Because they desperately believe that that a, a, a slavish devotion to the rules is where life is. And that's not where life is. Life is with God. A son or daughter lives by the law of love. And that doesn't mean there's no, that doesn't mean there's no standards. That doesn't mean there's no expectations of good behavior, right? But it's why why you do the good things. Do you do it because you think you have to or you're going to get punished? Or do you do it because God has been so good to you that you want to, you want to honor Him? Right? The New Testament says we love. Because he first loved us. It's our motivation for, for right behavior. And, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? So, um, in the area of security, um, an orphan is, is insecure and, and lacks peace. They don't, they don't think there's anything outside themselves that is that they can depend on for any kind of sense of of, of um, security or or peace. Son or daughter though knows it's not all up to me. I've got a loving father who has promised to take care of me and promised to provide for me and promised to 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 see me through, right? And that provides a great deal of peace and rest. I talk a lot about resting in the love of the Father and in my. In my life and in, in my experience, like the, the only thing that can really give you peace, deep peace, is knowing that there is a God who loves you and learning to rest in that. Okay, um, So how about the need for approval? An, an orphan um, is, is always looking for approval, for praise, for approval, for the acceptance of, of, of man. Um, because it's the only place they think they can get it, right? A son or daughter knows that they are totally accepted in God's love and justified by grace through faith. And because, because God has given you the only stamp of approval that matters, I don't need to try to extract it from the people around me, right? Um, what's your motivation for service? Um an orphan engages in in the service because of a, a need for personal achievement. You're you're trying to impress God, and you're trying to impress other people, or or maybe you don't have any motivation for service at all, right? Why do I? Why should I serve anyone? It doesn't matter. But for the son and daughter, service is motivated by a deep gratitude for being loved and accepted by God. You, you love freely and without agenda. Um, so how about uh, the things we might call spiritual disciplines? What do you, what's your motive for those? Um, again, an orphan does those things, if they do them at all, um, out of a sense of, of duty and a, and a desire to earn God's favor. But a son or daughter does those things out of pleasure and delight. Those things bring me closer to God, and I want to do those things because they 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 tie me, they link me, they help me abide in my Father. Well, I could go on. There's a, I got a whole bunch more here on this on this list. Um, let me do let me do one more. Um, your, your relationships with other people. An orphan views every relationship is competitive. Um, there's, there's rivalry, there's jealousy. When somebody else has success, um, you're, you're jealous of that. Um, you're, you're jealous of their position, right? Uh, every human relationship is, is tainted by competition and rivalry and jealousy. Jealousy. But for the son and daughter of God, your relationships are colored by Humility and unity you value others and you can rejoice in their gifts and their blessings and their successes right because god's given you enough right anyway um, there's there's a bunch more i'm going to i'm going to figure out how to get this pdf in this uh in in the show notes for this cuz i I'd, I'd really like you to I, I like i think it's a good idea to go through these and really Think about them and pray about them and, and dialogue with God about these things. Where are you? Where's your heart? Do you have the heart of a, of a son or daughter? Or do you really have the heart of an orphan? And if so, you, you've got some things to work on with God, right? So how do, you, how do you move from an orphan heart to the heart of a son or daughter? How can we begin to experience God's heart for us? A couple of things. You've got, to, um, you've got to begin to move from a focus on rules to a focus on relationship, okay? You need to rec- recognize that God treasures weak vessels. He doesn't require you to be perfect. He never has. Biblical rules without biblical thinking are always going to result in obligatory short-term ob- obedience with short-term results and always results in spiritual and religious bondage. And that, folks, is not freedom. Freedom comes from renewing your mind, Romans 12, 1-3, and seeing God not as a dictator, but as a father. Not as a, not as a taskmaster, but as a, a father who loves you and wants a relationship with you, okay? Um, Matthew 7, verses 7-12 through tells us that God, as the good and perfect father, knows how to give good gifts to his children and delights in doing so. so. So we've got to move from a focus on rules to a focus on relationship. Secondly, you've got to understand the difference between discipline and, con- and condemnation. Okay, um, The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 12.6 that the Lord disciplines those he loves. But, or maybe I should say and, Romans 8 verse 1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So discipline is not condemnation. Okay? Understand that. Wrap your head around that. Discipline is not condemnation. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, so righteousness is the fruit of discipline, but discipline does not mean punishment or condemnation. Discipline means teaching. So don't confuse those two words, okay? Um, again, if you've had a if you've had a particularly bad father, you hear the word discipline and you hear all sorts of. Negativity and nastiness and hurtfulness. Put put that aside and understand God's discipline is not that. Okay, it's not harsh or brutal or unloving. It's it's training, it's teaching, m- helping you move to where He wants you to go in a in a productive way, not in a way that sows discord and resentment toward Him. Okay, one of the ways. Uh, God disciplines us, and we pro- we probably ought to have a, a podcast sometime and just talk about what this what the discipline of God looks like. Um, one of the ways God disciplines us is by allowing us to experience the consequences of our own actions and to learn from them. Uh, I- I've said for years now that in many ways sin is its own punishment. It really is. We 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 sometimes think sin is um, this thing that God's going to punish us for, but gee whiz, sin is its own punishment. If, you, if you're... Um, uh, if you figure, I'm not going to define it all. You, you figure it out. Um, if you engage in sin, you're like, is there anybody that... I mean, sure there is. There are evil people who just wallow in their own sin and, and keep doing it again and again. We know that. The Bible talks about that. But gosh, most of us we hate our sin, and we hate our sin because we see the carnage it, it creates in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It's, sin, is, sin is its own punishment, right? And God, God allows us to experience that as a means of training. He doesn't spare us from learning from our own sins and our failures, the point is that discipline is the undeniable sign that God loves you, okay? Um, so the third way, and as we got to move on here, the third way we can begin to move from having a heart of an orphan to having the heart of a son or daughter is to open yourself to really experience God. Uh, go back and, and listen to the, to the episodes that we did um, called Growing in Intimacy with God. There's, there's, I don't know, three or four of those. Um, and we talk at length about how to, how to grow in your intimacy with God, how to, how to really experience God as a loving Father, okay? Um, Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in Him? Notice that he says, taste and see. He doesn't say, understand and know, okay? God's calling us here to an experience a relationship, not an academic degree. Education's important, but, but education happens in the context of a relationship. And the Lord is not trying to just merely educate us. He's inviting us to experience Him in relationship. We, we, we love to ask God why all the times when, when things uh, seem not to be going our, our way. But for me, all my questions of why are never met with information. God never answers those questions. What they're met with is revelation. God reveals himself to me. I, I, I think one of the best prayers you can pray when you're in the midst of something that, that seems painful and you're starting to wonder why God's letting you to go through this, one of the best prayers you can pray is, Father, what is it about you that I don't understand here, that if I understood." I would trust you more. Help me find that. And I'll guarantee you God will help you answer that. Okay? When Jesus breathed his last, he cried out, into your hands I commit my spirit. You're probably familiar with that, with that statement from the cross. Um, many people don't know that that is a quote from Psalm 31, verse 5. Uh, something else many people don't know is that the Jews would often quote a verse. Whoops. Gosh, it's been two weeks and I forgot to turn my phone off. I was just getting into something good there, right? Now I was interrupted. Anyway, um, okay, so into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' words, last words on the cross. It's a, it's a quote from Psalm 31.5. And a lot of people don't know that the Jews would often quote a verse in one of the psalms as a way of invoking the meaning of the entire psalm, okay? Because they all knew these things. A lot of them they knew by heart, right? So if you say one verse, the meaning of the whole psalm comes to mind. I think that's what Jesus is doing in there. When he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, I think he is invoking the meaning of the entire psalm. So go back and read Psalm 31. The whole thing. It's only 24 verses long. It is a psalm of hope and joy in the goodness of God in the midst of difficulty. And the point is that on the cross, having just endured the worst that man could dish out, Jesus was utterly convinced in the Father's good heart. As we move through life, each of us has a choice. Every day, you can see and determine God's character in light of and through your own experiences, or you can see and determine your own experiences in light of and through God's character. One choice leads to misery and bondage, and the other leads to freedom and hope and joy and peace. Choose wisely. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, I'm back on the back on the road to recovery now, so we, we're gonna we're gonna have a new episode every week, and we're gonna keep moving forward with these uh, these freedom conversations. Um, as always, we'd appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get There's... There's some new podcast apps out there um, and we're trying to get on all of them. So um, please visit us on our Facebook group for the Jesus Society podcast. Just search Jesus Society podcast and you'll find it. Um, Feel free to suggest topics for episodes, ask questions, share your own story. Share your own story of how the Father is loving you and transforming you. Also check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, you are greatly love.